Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi. So before we get into this episode, we wanted to thank you for listening and let you know a couple of things you can do to support the show and make sure we can keep bringing it to you every single week. First, and frankly, most fun things first, our Secret Menu membership program, which is a once-weekly members-only newsletter that costs four bucks a month, which comes out to, you know, a dollar a week. If you enjoy our free Monday newsletter, chances are you'll probably like this one too. It's got shopping picks, gift guides, recipes, rundowns of our favorite things in various categories like what are the cute toilet brushes? A question I know you have been asking. And it even has an advicey column where we answer audience questions. Sign up for it at a thing or two hq.com and you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed while you were sleeping on it. And here's something else you can do to help us out that doesn't cost a dime. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You may have noticed that discovery is still stupidly hard when it comes to podcasts and subscriptions and reviews make a big difference in helping us get on the radar of other new listeners. All right, so you want a third thing? Support our advertisers. Use these codes that they give us when you shop with them. We only work with brands we believe in and we hope you love them as much as we do. We're ridiculously grateful to you for listening and for showing us your support in whatever way you do. Thank you. And now on to the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. By the way, we just launched gifting for Secret Menu, which was very exciting and a huge accomplishment for us. And if you're- It was like harder than we thought it would be, maybe? <laughs> it, was, it was an entrepreneurial moment, I think, for us. Totally. So if you still haven't found uh, all the gifts on your list, secret menu gift in six month or 12 month installment could be a good option for you. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And as a reminder, we are offering free ad reads to black owned businesses. Hit us up at podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. We had like a last gifting thought to share after doing full ep- two full episodes on gifting. And just asking people to buy secret menu gift membership. <laughs> yeah. If just you one, still feel like you need something from us, still looking you, for ideas. That's right. And you've decided a donation doesn't make sense for whatever reason. Maybe someone just, feel, maybe it's been a year where you feel like someone needs a little bit of spoiling. Our, our last gift idea of the season is to buy really big versions of things people already like. 
That's right. Which is truly spoiling them. Spoiling them. Um, and I excess. will- Excess. <laughs> totally. And I will say that I spoiled myself. I've spoiled myself twice during quarantine in this way and have been satis- like extremely satisfied on both counts. I, I know I, what one of them was. So I bought myself the jumbo jar yeah. of Luxardo cherries. Um, mm-hmm. It's also just beautiful. And it is I, beautiful. And like, eventually I'll make my way through this. God knows when. And when I do, I'll be left with this like beautiful yellow and red Luxardo tin that I can use for who knows. We'll see. I thought you were going to tell me that you had spoiled yourself twice with the jumbo Luxardo cherries. And I was going to be really impressed that you'd eaten that many. That would be hugely impressive. No, I also bought myself Maldon salt in the mm-hmm. like in the bucket yeah. that has like basically like it looks like a beach bucket, you know, yeah. like, which yeah. I guess could be it's it's use when I'm all all through with it. I'm um, already way too liberal with Malden. Like you can't use that much of it, and no matter how much I use it, I don't learn that lesson that it's like you know it's big chunks of sea salt. Um, you have to be more sort of reserved with it than you would be with normal salt. And I can't imagine how insane I would get with the full bucket. Well, I don't have the full bucket out. So you it's just not like I'm like little... reaching into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Bucket. Okay. I have a salt cellar. Yeah. It gets refilled, yeah. you know, from the huge bucket. Yeah. Um, and, and you just get to have yeah. that full bucket there all the time. Well, you know how dumb that little box, that little cardboard yeah, it's, box is. It's, like that's, that's not a good a dispensing point. system. That um, thing is a disaster with the, with the plastic bag inside the box, and then it's all everywhere. That's a that's a very strong sell for the bucket. Actually, the bucket's also like price per price per grain of salt, a uh, much better deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's not that great of a deal? Tell me, a five thousand milliliter tub of La Mer. You know, oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> it actually may be a good deal compared to the smaller sizes, but it's $2,160 on Net-A-Porte. That's really spoiling someone, isn't it? Can you, like, imagine, you who's buying you know what you should do? You should just pay their New York City rent instead. <laughs> that would be spoiling them. What? How many do you think Net-A-Porte is keeping in stock of this 5,000 milliliter tub of Omer? Well, I also wonder what the expiration date is, like how how fast you're supposed to use that thing up. So this is what I was thinking when I was thinking about this topic, because it was like, it has to be consumables, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. has to be the category, but it has to be something that lasts long enough that you're it's not get expired by the time you can finally use so much of this thing. Well, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, of La Mer, Claire, um, Thomas's sister used to, for his birthdays, give him like Costco boxes of fruit roll-ups. It's a great um, gift. Great gift. Um, but something, you know, not a very expensive gift in the scheme of things yeah. and something you know will basically never expire based on the Definitely not. in it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general, Costco offers up a lot of opportunities to, to go this route. They have... Those, you know, the Girardelli brownie mix, which is like the best course, brownie mix. Of course, of course. My roommates in college, her mom used to bring us the Sam's Club size versions of that all the time. It was the best gift. We would never run out. They have Tate's chocolate chip cookies in 21 ounce boxes, which is 42 cookies. Who doesn't that's love Tate's Yeah, chocolate? no, that's the lovely answer to this question. Yeah. Um, the other thing you and I both, we discovered really want um, is the Oribe Gold Lust Repair and Restore Conditioner, which yeah, is we like- both put this on our list. And separately. <laughs> and here's my, here's, well, it's expensive. It's very expensive, but it's so good. So it's one of those things like, it feels like such a treat every time you have it. So to have the jumbo size of it would just feel like 
just so lavish. I also think that because in the same way that the Maldon salt is improved by the dispenser or like this, the mm-hmm. like delivery system, yeah. this Aribe conditioner is because it has a like pump instead yep. of the snap open bottle, whatever, which I think would just, I don't know, be better for me. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly one less step. You don't, you know, you could, and you can do it one handed. Well, and you know, those condition, those like conditioner bottles that sit like that, where you, they sit on the lid. Yes. They always get waterlogged or whatever. True. true. And I don't like that. True. Um, so maybe it's worth $180 to avoid that problem. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Uh, who One knows? thing that I felt like would definitely hit somebody on someone's list, uh, on like everybody's list mm-hmm. is an eight and a half pound tub of sriracha. Like everybody knows a sriracha fan. Like, Absolutely. The person who needs the mini bottle of sriracha on their keychain also needs the eight and a half pound tub of sriracha that they use at the at the restaurants. I do think, and you know what? That's actually a very cute pairing to get the like very <laughs> biggest totally. and the very smallest version of something totally. so that they can have like the massive supply, but then also have one like constantly on their person or like have it on their desk at lunch or whatever. They're never without it. Never without it. Something that was enticing to me when I got the Casey Musgraves merch emails, which I opened like, <laughs> immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that she released a triple wick version of her Boy Smells collaboration candle, Slow Burn. Um, and like the the big version of their like favorite candle also yeah. feels like a really easy, like truly. I, I know you, I thought of you, this is mm-hmm. your thing. So I'm hitting it really hard. That's right. I thought of some fantasy jumbo products um, that I don't think they sell in jumbo sizes. Um, Red Bull yet. fish sauce. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> Red boat fish sauce, I just run out of constantly. And that bottle's I get, not big enough. It's not big enough. And even like the biggest bottle's not big enough. And only some grocery stores carry it. And I I would be very happy with the jumbo size of that. Hey, did you know that Red Boat um, is a work wife brand? I did not know that. I knew yeah. it. I thought it was a family brand. No, it is a family okay. brand. It is a family brand. Okay. The father started it and now the daughters run oh, it. Um, so it's like second generation. I love it, that. It, and it's that incarnation. It's a work wife brand. I would also take a jumbo tub of the red boat salt, the fish what sauce. What do you salt. use the salt on? Everything. Like pretty much anytime I'm cooking anything, even vaguely Asian, I throw it in like fried rice. Um, okay. This like is any helpful. sort of stir fry. Um, I have struggled to find the right uses for this, um, anytime, but I think I don't, I don't think about it as cooking as much as like finishing and I don't think it's right for finishing. Yeah. It's like anytime I just want something to be saltier, but I don't want to actually add more salt or soy sauce. And I'm not a huge soy sauce fan. So that's part yeah. of it. Like I, I don't want to just keep dumping soy sauce if I feel like it's not flavorful enough. So I'll put the red boat fish sauce on. Well, and salt. it doesn't add the moisture. Yes. Either. Also. Yes. Yeah. Um, what else is on your fantasy list? Zycam. Always running out. Oh my gosh. It, I was with you um, <laughs> not that long ago when you bought seven boxes of it and you turned to me and you asked, is it crazy to buy seven boxes? And I said, without a pause, yes, um, <laughs> it is. And you were like, okay. And then you checked out. Did it anyway. Yeah. I don't know. I just... It's, no, you were just looking for a take. It wasn't necessarily going to drive your behavior decision-making. Yeah, you were that's just wondering. Right. It was like a curiosity. <laughs> it's also not cheap, but it works really well. Zycam if you don't know, is up to pe- do you think people know what Zycam is? It's something that yeah. you make at the beginning of your cold, like it's right zinc. when you feel yeah, yeah, it's like zinc, mostly zinc. Yeah. And then you just mainline it until your cold symptoms are gone. And I would say 80% of the time it gets rid of your cold before your cold becomes full-blown. And because at some point since COVID uh, graced us with its presence, they figured out that zinc was helpful with COVID. 
I became, it became something that in my house, we just like take as a daily vitamin, basically. I could see this. Um, I'm interested in feedback on that approach. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I hate the taste at this point too, but I just, you know. Well, it's chalky. I love Zycam. Yeah. I just yeah. think it works. I just think it really works. And then the other thing is the Lancome Micellar Water, which I, is like my ultimate HG product. I just think it's so good. And they, I just like buy three bottles at a time and keep them in my closet because I know that I'll always want more. Should we bring on today's guests? Let's do it. We are talking to Jenna Wortham and Kimberly Drew, who are the authors of Black Futures, a collection of essays, memes, dialogues, recipes, tweets, poetry, so many things, it's really remarkable, that aim to tell the story of the radical, imaginative, provocative, and gorgeous world that Black creators are bringing forth today. Jenna Wortham is a sound healer, Reiki practitioner, herbalist, and community care worker oriented toward healing, justice, and liberation. She's also a staff writer for the New York Times Magazine, and you might know her as the co-host of the podcast Still Processing. She is at Jenny Deluxe on Instagram. Kimberly is a writer, curator, activist, and so many things, internet personality for sure, (laughs) who received her BA from Smith College, where she launched the Tumblr Black Contemporary Art which has featured artwork by nearly 5,000 Black artists. She went on to run the social media for the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and her writing has appeared in Vanity Fair, LUK, and Glamour. And it's very likely you've encountered her on Twitter and Instagram as at Museum Mammy. Speaking of their Instagrams, that is where you can find info on the Black Futures book tour. Um, so should we bring these two on? All right. Thank you so much to Helma for sponsoring today's episode. So during the last few months, or let's be honest, the last year, I have been getting a lot more headaches than usual from grinding my teeth at night, from clenching my jaw during the day, from PMS, from doing a really bad job of managing my caffeine intake, from being a human living in the world. And I've been really thrilled to discover the products from a new female-founded brand called Hilma that makes natural remedies that work in the moment for those everyday aches and pains. So when I feel a headache coming on that's sort of, you know, I know going to be one of those debilitating things that's going to make another Zoom call even more painful than it already is, I have been taking their tension headache relief supplement. There's also one for immune support, upset stomach relief, allergy relief. The products are formulated by traditionally trained doctors and holistic practitioners, so you get the best of both worlds. Hilma has also taken the unique step as a natural remedy brand of running clinical studies on their products, and the results are impressive. For example, 94% of study participants saw a decrease in feelings of upset stomach after only 30 minutes with taking their upset stomach relief. They take ingredient transparency seriously and use the highest quality non-toxic natural ingredients, which you can read all about on their website to learn what they each do to help your body. You can also learn about the mystery ingredients they don't include. So there are no fillers, no added sugars, no dyes, which is just great stuff. Finally, it's founded by three women, work wives, who saw the need for this and got to work. We, of course, like to support all of that. Hilma has received endorsements from Forbes, Vogue, Birdie, and of course, us. Right now, if you go to hilma.co slash a thing or two and get the Hilma starter set, you can get both a free gift with purchase, a beautiful tote bag designed by an amazing female artist, and 20% off. Use this code, a thing or two, A-T-H-I-N-G-O-R-T-W-O, for 20% off. That's 20% off and a free gift with purchase with the starter trio. It makes a really nice holiday gift, but you really do need to order it now to get it in time. 
spelled Hilma, H-I-L-M-A dot C-O slash a thing or two. It's time to give your medicine cabinet an upgrade with Hilma. Hey everybody, Gabby Reese here. Please join me for my show where we're going to be talking about all things self-care. And I don't mean just eating and exercise. I'm talking stress, marriage, relationships, parenting, business, transitions. How do we figure out a way to be our best selves each and every day? So whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen, please join me. If you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. Hello, Jenna and Kimberly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having Thanks us. For having us. <laughs> We're so excited to have you. And we your love beautiful a double date. voices. Oh my gosh. A work wife double date. <laughs> this is an iconic work wife double date, I would say. Yes. Um, Jenna, I feel like you told us about this project like years ago over coffee and yes, we've been at Golda. Definitely. Yes. Um, and oh my God. <laughs> back when you could like sit inside places mm-hmm. and yeah, 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 yeah Ugh, all of it. Um, yeah. and we're so excited to talk to you about it now that it's out in the world. Thanks. Yeah, we've been talking for years from the beginning of Avakind till even before then, I oh, think, yeah. until now. So Long it's just a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you've been hearing about it more than, you know, I think longer than most people. So sorry. And also, here we are. <laughs> but also, <laughs> when we got the book and I opened it, I was like, I fully understand why this took years. And I'm surprised it didn't take longer because it is a massive undertaking. Mm. I wanted to ask you to describe it, but I also thought you did such an amazing job of describing it really succinctly on the back of the book. And I, do you think that's the best way of, of communicating to our audience what Black Futures is? I feel like Kimberly has a very good answer to this question. Yeah, let's hear. Oh, do I? I, I love when you're like, you're so good at this. And I'm like, um. <laughs> this is a work wife moment we also know well. <laughs> um, well, okay. So the fun fact about the back copy is it's actually written by Chris Jackson. Um, the other part, the other, I was going to say the other partner in our relationship, <laughs> but that is completely inappropriate. Um, the other, or our editor okay. wrote the back copy. That's another word we for both, other partner in your relationship. Yeah. <laughs> right. It is a relationship. Um, and we do love Chris very much. And it was actually really sweet to get that text back because it does really so beautifully encompass this book. Mm-hmm. But I think for listeners at home who are curious, the book is really a vibrant anthology collection, time capsule, to borrow Jenna's words, that's really interested in being an offering um, that is representative of our generation, that is very interested in the accomplishments and lessons that are both learned and taught by uh, Black voices. That's basically it. It's like we wanted to create something that could really speak to this moment deeply, deeply, deeply inspired by Toni Morrison's Black book that was created in the 1970s. Um, And when we, in the construction of the book, one of the things that was really difficult was trying to think about even like 10 years ago on the internet, you know, or four years ago on the internet and trying to piece together these moments that might've gone viral or been so important, but because we're moving at such a pace within media, things get lost in the toss. And so what would it mean to be able to offer a publication that could, um, in some ways start to catalog some of the vibrant things that have been going on. 
You talk about capturing this particular moment. And in the introduction of the book, you mentioned that this that Black Futures is in like a long lineage of Black anthology projects. Um, can you speak to a couple others that inspired this book or that you looked to? Yes, definitely. I mean, the Black book was really the the first, right? I think if you've if you've never read, I highly recommend getting an anniversary copy or trying to get a vintage copy on like a books or something or thrift books because it really is so. I mean boxes of newspaper clippings, right? Which is very subtle commentary on how the media was talking about Black people and Black culture in this country. There are essays, you know, it's just, Tony was really trying to, I mean, you know, this is the spirit that we were very much leaning on, but she was trying to do what it was like to be a Black person during that time. Hopes, what were the fears? What were the dreams? What were the concerns? What were the existential crises of the moment? When we sat down, it was like, Yes, climate change, right? It was thinking about entertainment. It was thinking about queerness. It was thinking about disability rights. It was thinking about so many things. And I think that helped also the tone for the book. Black book is like not that easy to read and in this way, that's great. Um, but some of the other books that really inspired us, well, it's not in the acknowledgments, but introduction, but I think a lot about Black Women Writers at Work, which is this collection by Claudia Tate where she just interviews like all of the, I mean, it's one of my favorite books. The Spine is Broken actually, because I've thumbed through it so many times, but you know, there's like Nikki Giovanni, Toni Morrison, Alexis DeVoe, and Asaki Shanje. Like there are just so many authors in there just talking about what it meant to be a writer. And they're talking about sexism. They're talking about feminism. And it's just such a temperature, you know, and it's timeless because those issues they were dealing with in the seventies, we're still dealing with. Um, so those are the two books I think a lot about. And then the, the work of Kathleen Collins, too, who is just a, pol- a total polymath. You know, Losing Ground is, it falls into the first, you know, it's a first, you know, in that very bittersweet way. And that's one of the first features, or it's the first feature, full-length feature directed by a Black woman. But it it's just this really dreamy and existential chronicle of of it's nostalgic and it's obsessed with ambition. It's obsessed with mediocrity. It's obsessed with restlessness. It's obsessed with depression and anxiety. And she also wrote plays and she wrote fiction and she wrote uh, short stories and her daughter posthumously published a lot of them. And so even just seeing this bounty of one person, I think that was something that moved both of us a lot. I know Kimberly has her own references, so I'll, I'll pause in case there's some you want to bring in that inspired you for the book. No, I love, I loved that. I mean, I think the only thing I would also add is maybe, um, I have all of the, maybe actually I might be missing one now, but, um, the studio museum in Harlem does this incredible exhibitions, um, as part of a series called the F series. And it's almost like their response to this like moment in black art and, features artists that you may never have heard of and then eventually are everywhere. Mm. Um, But I think that our book in many ways kind of is an echo of that too, where it's like, here are some people that we really, really, really think that you should know. Here are some people that you might already know. Like we were doing an interview yesterday and Jenna mentioned um, a conversation that she was having offline with Soraya McDonald, who we both love very much. And Soraya was reading the book and saw a picture of her cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And so it's, you know, it's like really, I think the greatest success in the book is those moments of connective Mm -hmm. tissues. There's 
multiple pictures of people's grandparents, um, contributors' grandparents really specifically. Um, and so thinking about these like interlocking kind of things um, because, yeah, I don't know. I, I just love that. I love I love the intimacy of the people. Like I think about the term, sorry, I'm rambling yeah. now, but I, I think a lot about the term household name. And there are so many people in this book who are household names because, you know, they just famous like that. Um, and then there are some other names that are household names because literally they are in the household with you mm-hmm. because they are family members. And so I love that it kind of has a duality of, of both of those things. I love that so much. The other thing I wanted to bring up from the introduction of this book, which I thought was so good and also must have been so challenging to write because you're trying to introduce this really enormous abstract concept. But you talk about inviting readers to read alongside a digital device so that they can do further research about anybody or anything that piques their interest. What inspired you to include that? We decided to include that, I think partially because like, I know I wanted to do it because Adrian Marie Brown does Mm. it in her books. Like I think that Adrian's introductions are really beautiful and are a master course in how to introduce a book. But I also think in general, there is this strange, and I think also this comes from being like in my past life, being an art bitch, like there's such a demand on how we interact with things. Um, there's so much shade that's thrown at like taking a museum selfie mm-hmm. or um, having a tech mediated kind of interaction with something. And I think for us as people who love to not only read things, but share like, you know, Jenna and I both love to like post a passage that we're reading or something like this to encourage that um, because there's so much shame associated with it. And for us, it was so much more about the way that people interact and understanding that there are no short of a thousand invitations in this book to participate in some way. That's the premium. That's the most important thing is that you get there and not really necessarily how you do it. Um, We were thinking about trying to put like tweetable, like passages from different um, essays in it so that people could find some way to share and invite others in because it's the sharing and connectivity that we were really trying to get at, at at multiple points in constructing this book. That kind of sets up part two of this question, which is that the internet interacts, or this book interacts with the internet in a way that I haven't seen in any other print publication, both you know, through screenshots and just surfacing sort of internet things, but through talking a lot about the internet and the way that Black culture has shaped the internet and vice versa. And I'm just you both have had such internet-centric careers, for lack of a better phrase. You're um, humans of the internet. Yeah, for sure. very much. <laughs> yeah. Early, you know, have been really early to a lot of internet um, sort of trends and behaviors and, and cultures. So I'm just curious what the thinking was and what the approach was there in terms of like, how does this book approach the internet? I wanted to add something too to the previous question that I think fits in here, which is that I think for both Kimberly and I, it's really, really, really important to just break shit down and also not assume any entry-level basis of knowledge about anything. I am someone, I still don't know how a lot of words are pronounced and, and on still processing. It's Me so funny. Yes. I like, I, I grew up reading words before I heard them, you know, and, and I, and it's funny because like on the, the podcast that I do for work, they always stop recording and we'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) we have like a Google document of words. Like I don't say right. And it's, it's partially, my brain is not, I can't learn how to say them now, but it's like, I have to slow down when I say apothecary because I'm always like apothecary and they're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) 
Then I am a hundred percent with you. (laughs) But I, I think it's just really important to share those things because when everything is mediated through the internet, it can often feel like if you don't know something or you don't understand a term or you're not familiar with the name, you feel dumb or you feel stupid. And I, I've just had that experience so much in my life that I think allowing people permission and encouraging them to look up things and, and, you know, and see it not as a lack, but as a portal, right? Like it will take you somewhere else outside of the book. And we encourage that, you know, and it's something that we want to really challenge these ideas of like universality and especially in knowledge. So that's, I don't know that I think that's, that's what I think about when, when, how the book pairs with the internet or how the book relates to the internet. And also, I mean, you know, one of our challenges was so much of what's being made that we wanted to archive is so centric to the internet. So how do you archive a tweet and how do you archive, you know, like a hashtag and how do you think about, I mean, we got lucky in some ways that the book really got done before TikTok became huge because I really (laughs) don't know what we would have done. But it's it's interesting to think about like, oh, there are no TikToks in the book. You know, right. that's something that like, it doesn't keep me awake, but it's something that I've thought about <laughs> more times than I want to admit. Yep. Um, and so it's, it's definitely a preoccupation of, of both of ours. Speaking of what is in the book, you know, there are screenshots, there are poems, there are fashion designs, there are recipes, there's... Um, there, there's art, there's, so, there are essays, there's so, so much. Um, and it's such varied media. How did you think about what made sense to include here and what didn't? I really think it was more like personality driven because it's, it's funny. Like I didn't think about it until probably yesterday, but it was really the individuals and the, the kind of energies that we wanted to be present. Some folks who are kind of unexpected. Like I think like I was just texting with Martine Rose um, yesterday, um, but Martine Rose being so pivotal in the streetwear space, but often overlooked and was like, we have to get Martine in. And there's a ton of people that we probably, you know, like people are like, oh, you don't have so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But I'm like, look, if y'all don't know about Martine, <laughs> you're not going to get to these other people. Yeah. <laughs> Period. And so there's, there's a lot of people who are like that or that um, I think in our own like private link, because I think everyone who works on a book like has secret code words for things, but people who are like our tentpole figures who can be this kind of stepping stone to this universe of other people was really the hope and goal. And it took shape in many, many different forms because we are so fortunate to be in a community of creatives who are doing legit everything. And so that was really also too, is just like, we have a very diverse in like a true sense. Cause I think diverse is a word that's been beaten to death. Um, yep. but I think we have a, such a diverse community of people who are in our lives and we want to highlight and share with the world. How did you decide who to approach and, and what needed to be covered in this book? Were you starting with a, a master list of like the things that could absolutely not be left out? <laughs> that would have actually been a better approach. It was so it was so piecemeal, you know. And I think when I, I think about the proposal that we submitted, a lot of the artists and writers and thinkers and dreamers that were on that list, I don't know if that's who ended up even being in the book. And it shifted a lot too, you know. I, again, it's like as the book was coming together, and we were we were mostly using Dropbox as our as our CMS mm-hmm. as our content management system, and so we would you know, you, you could just get a look of like, okay, here's who's in the book. And so your brain would start doing this math. Like what areas aren't we covering? How are we thinking about science? How are we thinking about, you know, um, the environment? How are we thinking about clean water? And and it just kind of, it was more, I, I don't know if Kimberly agrees with this, but to me, in some ways it felt really topical. Like this book should talk about this or what would this writer think? And then just seeing it kind of 
spiral out in these concentric circles was really natural. And I think it was also, it was interesting too, because a big question for us was, you know, how do we talk about Hollywood and how do we talk about entertainment? Like, and that's, that's something that's shifting so much and, and to try to figure out how to archive some of that in the book in a way that won't feel dated in five years. I mean, that was a huge, huge challenge. And, and, you know, one of the solutions was with our, um, the chapter section fronts, we have images just like popular images there. And I think that that actually worked really well. And it's great to just have, let's say an image of the cast of Black Panther rather than like an essay on the importance of Black Panther or the critiques of Black Panther, which coming out, you know, a book that people are getting in 2021 might be, you know, like, why is this in here? So it was, it was like right. a tough, it was kind of hard to future proof it too. Um, I thought that was really effective though. There were certain images, especially that I encountered thinking, okay, I'm going to read something about this after I see, I flip through the images and then it was just the images. I'm thinking specifically of the Pierre Moss campaign images. And it was like, actually, that is all I need. That feels like that was sufficient. And um, this does really feel, this book does feel like it's like a new format in some ways, or at least not one that I've encountered in that way in the way you put it together. I think it's interesting to, or not interesting. I'm like, our book is so interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, really I would tend good. to agree. I would tend to agree. <laughs> um, but I think that there's this thing that happens and like, you know, we all in some way have a relationship to publishing, but you know that there's this like top down thing where it's like, oh, your readers won't get that. Right. Or like, mm, oh, your absolutely. audience won't understand that. And yeah. I think for us, I, I know I can speak for myself and say like, I hate that kind of thought line. I'm like, if you want to know more about these Pierre Moss images, or if you want to know more about those Nocesso images that exist in the same way, or Martine some way with, within the fashion scope, or, you know, um, these images that exist on their art index pages, Google it, babes. Yes. Like, I trust that you will go and find it and it doesn't have to be you have today. The, you have a way. Like, you have a way. Right. Like, <laughs> I believe in you. You know, I believe in how you might encounter these things. I believe that those things might bore you or entice you. Those things might lead you to write your own book or whatever. Like, I just, I feel like for us, it was really important to like return that agency instead of doing so much handholding because the book would be so long if everything was a handhold. It'd be impossible. Well, and it's okay to ask the readers to do a little bit of work and maybe important to like tell them that like this sort of education, this sort of exploration does require some work on mm, your part. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Well, and I do feel like there was something for me, at least about navigating the book that felt more like going to a gallery or experiencing a gallery exhibit than of reading a book um, where you are meant to sort of like wander and meander and take note of things and maybe take a picture of something to look up later or flag something. And that was a, it was nice to have a different kind of experience with a book. Mm, I love hearing that. Jenna, you touched on this a little bit, but I felt like we had to ask you, obviously knew when you were writing this that historic moments and movements around race in America would continue to take place like long after the publication date, but I'm sure you didn't imagine the the way that the movement would reach a new level this summer. And I assume that the copy was filed at that point, that the book was done. Were you were you in a place where you were like, stop the presses? We have to talk about George Floyd's death. We have to talk about the moment that's happening right now. Or were you sort of at peace with like, of course, things are going to continue to happen. And this book mm-hmm. is in some ways a moment in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really tough. I mean, just just psychically, we were we were doing the last round of edits during the uprising. So basically, you know, that looked like Kimberly and I waking up every day and sitting on our computers you know, in our respective homes, because we're still in a pandemic, 
just going through painstakingly and, and, you know, we have our different talents and strengths. And so Kimberly was the one inputting all the details that needed changing on the PDF. Cause I'm the type of person who will try to order one thing and accidentally order 10, you know, like I'm very, <laughs> I just get, it's hard. I'm, I'm not that detail oriented. It's hard. Um, but you know, I, I was panicking definitely like, you know, shit, does the book address you know, black liberation movements enough. Like, do we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and I was really freaking out. And at one point, Kimberly was just like, it's in there. Like it's in there, you know, and maybe we don't have a reference to this exact moment and this, this exact new upswell, but it's in there. And I mean, in some ways that was one of the most, you know, clarifying and, and, it was a little hard. I mean, it was hard to realize like in five years, I mean, it's, this is work of lifetimes, you know, but just thinking about even the course of this moment in time of, of the period of time we were working on the book, you know, so much felt like it had shifted. And at the same time, so much had not shifted. And so it was really difficult to sit with that, you know, but I made peace with it. And I think that Kimberly was right. And it was, it was all in there already. And you know, I think there's a way in which the book is, it is a time capsule and it is an archive, but it's not so dated. Like we're not, you know, we're not trying to be like, here are all the important things that happened in five years, because I think that would be, again, that would put us in such a danger zone of, of, of missing things, you know, or leaving things out. One of our contributors posted a spread from the Black Mamas bailout. And it's just this initiative that this collective in Miami named FemPower is working on to raise bail money and just to draw attention to how many black mothers are in jail and imprisoned and incarcerated. And, you know, they talk about in their intro Southerners of new ground or Southerners on new ground, excuse me, um, song, which was a huge organization that sprang into action this summer. And I remember just feeling so grateful, like this organization that's been around for so long got written about in the book in a way, you know, I, you know, in the, the black mama's bailout effort and decide to archive it, but in writing the paragraph, the you know the the intro about that initiative, we got this whole scope of a legendary movement work organization in the South. Yeah, and you know, so like that to me feels resonant. It feels relevant. And then artists like Cameron Rowland, you know, who are you know they're making work about these things as well. Like it's all in there. And so I I made peace with it. Like though, you know, I think it was really it was really tough to feel like there's always going to be some heavy ass shit in this country that belongs in this book, but. Well, and certainly what Kimberly said was right. And the first thing I thought of was the book opens with screenshots from the original Facebook posts that were the seed of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it is so powerful to see. It's like surprisingly intimate because you're looking at someone's Facebook posts that are just meant for their network of, of friends and family. But the, for me anyway, the immediate impact was, could they ever have imagined at that point what Black Lives Matter would mean now? And that may have a different meaning a year from now and two years from now for, for people who encounter it. But it felt, it felt very relevant in the present looking at that. Like it felt very much tied to the present to see that. Yeah. The only thing I would add too is like even the instinct and understanding that some of the things that happened this year should be cataloged mm. is already kind of like the goal and purpose of what we were trying yeah. to do with the book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's just like understanding that these moments, because there are so many, I think like so many of us got too many like emails over the summer that were like, when this moment is over, 
you know, like when Black Lives Matter moment is over and like, we need to rush to have like this storefront thing done and we need to hire you right now because we're in this moment. We're not, you know, like these things are a part of a larger continuum and we need to understand these things need to be recorded. There needs to be an awareness. There needs to be um, some preciousness applied. And so I think it's, it's nice to hear when that comes up, because I think I was talking to another friend who was like, 2020 could have its own yeah. like, edition of this book <laughs> yeah. because we all went through so yeah. much shit. Um, but I think that, yeah, like us having that kind of feeling or even you as, as, as readers and an audience and, you know, comrades to the book, like understanding that is, is yeah, the work is being done. I love listening to the way that you two talk about each other. Um, am I getting the story straight that you became friends sort of at the same time that you became collaborators? Yeah. Can you tell us about how you sort of developed your, the relationship that you have now and, and how the, your sort of professional and personal intermix mm. or don't and all of that? <laughs> yeah, everything is all up in it's in it's all mixed up. All That's of my peanut hoping. butter yeah. is all <laughs> up in Kimberly's chocolate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is true that we did meet um via the in the in the beginning of the book, there's a screen grab of the an artist named Janelle Jones interpreted the DM exchange that brought us into each other's lives. And yeah, I just reached out to Kimberly because you know, is mostly covering tech at the time, but was also feeling like writing about, I was writing about how people use social media and not necessarily what was emerging or changing culturally because of social media. Yeah. And at the time, my job, I wasn't really able to, to migrate into culture. And, you know, in 2014, 2015, there was still a feeling like kind of a ceiling or a cap on how much you know, editors cared about black culture. And so that was just really frustrating. And I, well, fuck it. I'll do it on the side. Like, I'll just do what I want, you know, and how best to do that. And I knew I wanted a collaborator. I just think strength in numbers. And I feel like there's so much to learn from working with other people. I was kind of tired of being a lone wolf reporter too. And just kind of being in my apartment all the time or on my desk all the time, just writing yeah. on something. And then, you know, so, um, so I reached out to Kimberly, who was just so generous and gracious and I think about that all the time. I mean, I, I did say this in another interview, but I really do sit with how it's just so scary sometimes to reach out and show those vulnerabilities of like, I want to make a thing and that, you know, trust that someone is not going to shoot you down or ignore you. And, or if they do that, you don't take into some dark gremlin place where you fester with it for years, you know, and it was just so incredible. And Kimberly was like, you know, absolutely, you know, absolutely. And Kimberly had the grand vision for the project too, because I'd been thinking it should be just like a quick one-off thing. Let's, let's not take too long with it. Let's just get it out there. And, you know, Kimberly was like, slow down. Like we, this can be bigger and it can go farther. And I think that was really incredible too. And, and despite our age difference, because I'm older than Kimberly, you know, I was like, internet only. And Kimberly was like, no, bitch. And then I was like, yeah, you know, um, so those are the, the baby steps towards this final baby. How, what did you two each learn about each other through working together on this? Good question. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> well, it's okay. So it's, it's kind of hard because we didn't know each other before yeah. the book. And I just want that to be like abundantly clear because it is completely ridiculous and so indicative of who we are as people like we were strangers we were complete strangers and then we're like you know what let's get a lawyer yep. and share a bank account 
let's go have fun <laughs> on this book, baby. And now we're basically married and I couldn't imagine my life any other way. Um, I would say, what did I learn about Jenna? I mean, every, everything I, I mean, I didn't have many, very many assumptions, but I think, I think what I've learned, I'll, I'll say in general, what I've learned about what a friend can be even better, um, mm. is that friendship is, it's just so much more abundant than I could. Like, I think I learned so much more about like the fullness of friendship, um, because there were so many turns. And I think I was the more apprehensive parent going into the book project, even though I was like, let's make a book. Um, I was like, fuck, we can't make a book. You know, like I immediately went from like, we, <laughs> we have to make a book to having like an existential crisis about what it needed to be as big as it was. And I think that there were so many turns where Jenna was such a guiding force in making sure that every meeting that we had, that there was a like spiritual check-in before any work was done. Um, that there was a conversation about what we needed and there were so many times that we just kind of looked to each other and said, like, this book is not more important than our bond. And I learned, yeah, to really understand the importance of, of what friendship can be from Jenna, because I've been so used to either doing things on my own or basing the affection that I receive off of the productivity that I can show the world. And you really were so gracious and just kind of like, calling bullshit on that and being like, you are a really tender, like Pisces rising. Mm. And like, maybe we will just sit on this couch and eat beans. <laughs> Shout out I to the beans. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a beautiful articulation of, of really what it means to be a work wife and mm. like why it is such a powerful bond to mix the two. I love that mm. so much. Mm. I would also just love to add that I've, one of my favorite things about Kimberly is that you know, Kimberly's the type of person who you can just be like, let's rent a convertible and go to the beach and get Shake Shack on the way. And Kimberly's like, I will be at your door in 20 fucking minutes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know like we need it. You know, we've been working too much. Let's do this thing. And, you know, and Kimberly's like, I'll raise you one better. Meet me at this address at this hour. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, just so fun and so down and just so like such an adventurer, you know, and I think it is true. You know, we, we, we live in New York and we get caught up in this pace of life that feels like you're only as good as your next byline. You're only as good as your next connection or your next post. And, you know, I think we're all people who work and live online. And so to some degree, that's always going to be true. But I think the, the reality behind that is what do you need right now in this moment? Do you need to sleep in and cancel all these meetings? Because then I will make that happen for you. And I think that vulnerability and not being afraid to like screw up, you know, like Kimberly and I had this thing earlier today where Kimberly was emailing just me and I replied to like all 10 people on our marketing team because I didn't <laughs> understand what was happening. And Kimberly was just like, it's okay, you know? And I, and it's like, I knew, I don't know that really, there's so much safety and trust in our relationship. And I think I just know that no matter what, you know, and it's, it's taught me a lot about in the same exact way of just that is possible. That is possible. And it doesn't always feel like it is in the city or, or just this climate or this economy, you know, that people will want to be your friend, even when you're not glam and when you screw up and you make mistakes and that's really important. So I just want to add that too. That's, I really just learned so much about that unconditional love from Kimberly. Something, it reminds me of something that has happened in our relationship, which is that when one of us screws up something that like we feel really bad about, 
the other one is always more worried about how badly the one who made a mistake is beating themselves up than about Mm. like the actual consequences of the mistake. Because we also both know each other well enough to know that like we're absolutely like murdering ourselves about the mistake. (laughs) Um, And that that, that's, and that like it's totally out of proportion with the actual consequences of the mistake. And I, I wanted to ask one more question about the book, which is, and I'm asking it in part because we have a ton of white women in our audience. You know, obviously, and we are in fact, white and we women. are white women. Um, <laughs> I don't have a demographic survey. <laughs> I know. I, I hate to reveal this so late in the conversation. And this book was so clearly like written as a gift to black audiences and it's for black readers. And I'm just curious if, do you have a hope for how non-black people or, or even like white people specifically will interact with this book or how it might influence white audiences? Or was that not a consideration because it didn't need to be? I think for us, it is really essential to understand. And I think for everyone to understand that like, you don't have to make a book for someone who is not like you. That's not like the bare minimum requirement for the things that you make. Um, It's not always to be like understood, tolerated or critiqued. Um, So I also like definitely want to start there. But second, I think it's exactly the way that you frame the question. It is a curiosity. I think for myself, I'm always interested in working on projects and collaborating with others who want to put together something that might strike up a curiosity in others. Because to over-assume that every Black person knows what's in the book already is a mistake as well. And so there's always an opportunity for all of us to continue to expand what we might know or not know, or the series of questions that we have asked or didn't know we needed to ask about um, this incredible volume of, of humans who come together and make this book what it is. Um, but for me, I think a lot about that curiosity and, you know, maybe you've never thought about the fact that there's this incredible community of black farmers, or there are, you know, incredible scientists who are black who are writing about climate change, or, you know, there's just, you know, this other photographer that you didn't know who was working in the South side of Chicago or whatever. Um, I want everyone, no matter the walk of life, no matter how they identify to come in and just be wowed and surprised. And I think that that's something that we can all access. Mm, I love that. I love that. It's perfect. Well, you guys, congratulations on this. It is such a, a feat. It is so important. I'm so excited for my son to grow up with this book in, mm. in our house and it to be one of those things that he like opens and flips through. I have memories of those books from my own childhood and it, this really felt instantly like, oh, this is something that like a young person can have curiosity about and pick up and like have a moment with and have it shape their, their mind early on. So um, thank you. Thank you for writing it. We're both so remarkable and wonderful and we love being able to follow everything you do. And I can't wait for so many people to buy Black Futures and just like spend time (laughs) with it and hang. Yeah. 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 Um, Thank you for that context. I love the idea of thinking like I have so many books like that that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful... That's He's really going to read words note. for the first time and not know how to pronounce them. It's going to be great. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he has his whole life to not know how to pronounce words. <laughs> that's, yeah. oh, that's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com.